So some years back, I started a church in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Cambridge is a super non-church-going part of the world. When we started, it seemed like it was about 2% church-going. That's right about what China is, for instance. The average church size was 35. And suddenly, we uh, kind of fell into something, and we had lots and lots and lots and lots of people coming who had not been churchgoers who were finding something powerful. And I think a one story is something that taught us something, because we spent the longest time trying to figure out what the heck happened. And uh, think about a guy named Bill. Bill came to see me after a service. He said, can we talk? And we pulled aside and we talked for a while. Bill was a big man. He was wearing leather. He seemed kind of edgy. And uh, he said, all right, here's my story. I uh, was living with a woman. I'm living with a woman. She was a churchgoer uh, in her youth and has felt kind of guilty that she's not a churchgoer now. And she saw a sign that you guys had put up on the local subway, and that kind of pricked her conscience, and so she showed up at your church, and she liked it. And so she came back, and she told me that uh, she wanted me to go. I refused. She said, no, she really wanted me to try it at least once. I refused. She said she wasn't going to sleep with me again until I came once, so I came. <laughs> that still, to my mind, is the single best evangelistic strategy I have ever heard. <laughs> and I highly recommend it to anyone for whom it would be appropriate. So he showed up, and he said, but here's the question I have. I've now come six times, and I want to know why. And I said, you got me, Bill. Tell me, give me more. And he said, in fact, this last time I came, she didn't even come. She was out of town, and I came anyway. And I said, well, what's your, what's your story? He said, well, I'm a Vietnam veteran, and I came back with severe post-traumatic stress to the point that I have huge anger issues. I go up out multiple times a week to the closing time at local bars so I can get in fights and beat people up to get rid of my aggression. And uh, two weeks ago, I was straightjacketed. And uh, as I've come to your church, I suddenly felt my anger going down. I said, really, why, why do you think that is? And he said, well, when you, 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 know, you give your little stories or whatever you say, and at the end you have like these tips, and I've tried the tips and they seem to be helping, and I wanna know what's going on. But before you tell me what's going on, I need to tell you one important thing. I was born a Jew, I'm gonna die a Jew. If you have any thought in mind of me becoming a Christian, give it up now, and in fact, I'm walking out. I said, okay, well happily, I don't know, I think you've come to the right place. I have a different conversation I want to have. And the conversation I want to have is, is it okay with you if in my heart of hearts, I don't care if you believe this, but if uh, you found out that I believe that what's happened to you is because of Jesus, that would be at least what I believe. Here's why. Those tips that were so helpful for you were actually just reformulations of things Jesus said we should do. So I was preaching about Jesus. I was trying to think, gee, what's Jesus' advice in this passage? And I tried to put it in plain English and said, well, I think this is advice so maybe people should do it. I think that's the reason your anger issues have gone down. It's as if you're turning and you're facing Jesus every time you do that, and you're kind of looking him full in the face, and, um, and you're trying what he said, and he's giving you feedback. And in one sense, the story's about him, the story isn't even about me or our church. Two weeks later, I see Bill again. I say, hey, Bill, how's it going? He says, well, Dave, I give thanks to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and I said, uh, something's happened, hasn't it, Bill? Well, and indeed, something had happened. He had uh, sadly had a recurrence of his anger stuff uh, a couple of days after seeing me, so bad that he was afraid he might hurt the woman he was living with. So he calls her up at work in the morning and he says, baby, I'm no good for you. I'm leaving today. You won't know where I am. It's not your fault. I'm so sorry I did this to you. And then he hears this click. And she comes back, she says, I'm sorry I had to put you on hold. I had to go do something. Did you call about something? He says, no, and he hangs up. <laughs> and he goes and takes 
a cold shower to try to get the anger out. And in the shower, he says, Jesus, can you help? And he said he was knocked over, like something whammed into him, and he was knocked into the shower. He's filled with heat, and the anger left. And that's why he said what he said. Now, I think that was instructive for us because I thought, you know, I think that's actually the secret of our success. So many churches, the Southern Baptist has spent a huge amount of money to try to kind of crack the Harvard people, Heart of Darkness, and it hadn't worked. And why did we? We were not hipper than anybody else. I think you can tell just by looking at me, hipness, I don't think I can pull it off. And, um, and we didn't pull it off particularly well. We were, I don't think, all that much smarter. But I think what we did do is we just had this kind of resolute sense of, if we could just turn people towards Jesus, good stuff's going to happen. And that had been my experience. I had grown up atheist, and I asked God at one point if God was real, and I got this feedback, and I thought, wow, that was really weird. And so I started trying to explore what had happened. I went and took classes on Sufi Islam and modern-day Judaism. I studied up on all the major Asian religions. And what I consistently heard, including from two of the professors when I asked them about this, could my experience of an interactive something out there in the universe who was trying to get my attention be the story of the faith they were teaching about? And they all said, no, it couldn't be. And in fact, the only religious story, if religious is the right word, out there could be Jesus. I, I should start there. And I found verses like John 10, 27 and 28, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they'll never perish, and no one's going to snatch them out of my hand. The way we know that we're Jesus' sheep is we listen to his voice. And then as we do it, we're like turning and facing him. Say, what, what is that you're saying? And he sees us, and we're in a relationship, and he knows us. And then in that relationship, he directs us himself, not some principle, not some truism, him, to follow him. And that creates this thing called eternal life. And we never perish. Such a solid relationship is formed, it becomes solid for eternity. Well, I thought about all that stuff because so many of our people, we had hundreds upon hundreds of people like Bill, and a number of them would leave our church in great innocence and go off somewhere else because Cambridge people often come to get educated and they go home. And they say, I'm so excited, I'm going to find a church just like this and do this stuff. And they would have trouble. They would email back saying, I'm having trouble, I don't know how to do this. And I found myself thinking about this conference then. We call this conference Simply Jesus. And I find myself wondering, is that naive? Simply Jesus. Because in the end, don't most people who follow Jesus sooner or later have to like grow? And what, what does growing mean? Growing means we learn the right things to believe, we learn the right opinions to hold, we have the right behaviors. Maybe we pick up a church culture that's good. And I thought of my own um, entry into Jesus. I was right on the tail end of this thing which bore his name, the Jesus Movement. And uh, the theory of the Jesus Movement was it was all these hippies, I was kind of a little past that era, who looked at their parents' generation who all were Christians, everyone was a Christian then, but they had this huge culture associated with being a Christian. They wore their, the women wore their bonnets and their nice dresses, and the men wore their suits to church, and they, the feeling was they had to put on a false front to be religious, they couldn't be real, and they had all these political opinions, which was equivalent to being a Christian, they had all these political opinions, and you had this huge culture, and the Jesus people just said, we just want to follow Jesus. And I think, well, that's kind of our story, and that's the story of this conference to some degree. What helped me thinking about that was something from philosophy, if I can give it to you in these last few minutes. It was this thing called the second innocence that some people talk about. So here's the first innocence. It's as if you're in the Garden of Eden, you're in paradise. When I started following Jesus, I felt as though I had fallen into some secret society. And I would say to people, because I didn't know anybody, I had not grown up with people talking about Jesus. And so suddenly I would say to some Jesus person, wow, 
that celebrity, I think they might be a Christian. And they go, I think they might be. It seems so exciting. And then we thought, wow, I heard that person. That person talked about the Bible. I talk about the Bible. Wow. <laughs> Everything seemed like a discovery. But then these philosophers say something happens, and we get kicked out of the garden. Well, what happens is maybe we discover that all these people, we think all these people are on our side. Maybe we realize not all of them are on our side. And maybe then we realize, and I learned a little more about the Bible, and it kind of got confusing, and things just don't work out in my life the way I thought they would, and now I'm outside. What they say we have then are three choices. We can either turn back and say, I want to get back in, but the problem is there are angels with flaming swords. You can't get back in. And uh, then we, we can pound on the door and say, I want that innocence back. The philosophers say that's actually the conservative instinct. We, we want to conserve something. We can't get it back, but we can kind of create the shell of it, the container for it without the thing itself, and we can defend that container to the death as what we're going to do until the day we die. The second thing we can do is we can camp out in the fallen world and kind of look back and think, huh, what happened there? And we can analyze it, still knowing Jesus, but from a distance. They would call that the liberal instinct. But there's a third instinct. The third instinct is the John 10, 27, and 28 instinct. We can turn into the fallen world and start moving knowing that we have a shepherd who is going to lead us throughout the whole thing, right at our side, but there is no nostalgia anymore for that thing. I don't know about you, I've been a part of two movements now which had golden eras. I had a thing in college which went national. Everyone was talking about it, and then it faded, and we wondered where it went. I've been a part of a group of churches that I was right in the center of this golden era. Everyone knew about us. And then it faded, and 20 years later, people are thinking, how can I get that thing back? What the philosophers say is, well, you can't. In fact, you shouldn't even try. We should be looking forward with Jesus and living that moment. What they say is, though, as we go around this fallen world where there's hurting people and there's difficulty, but with Jesus as our guide, what we're going to discover is there's this thing up ahead. And we think, that looks familiar. And we realize it's paradise. We've gone around the whole world and we're coming in the back door. Now, the thing is, the angels with the flaming swords only guard the front door. And so... We can now walk back in and we kind of looking around and we think, this feels familiar and it's awesome, but we're a different tested person in this, what they call second innocence. Well, that's kind of my dream and it's my dream for those of us at this conference, it's my dream for myself. I want to be a second innocence Jesus person. Yeah. I don't want to be banging down the door for the nostalgia of the first innocence. How can I get it back? I want to just live with the living God, trusting that he's the guy. I don't want to take on all the apparatus of those parents of the Jesus people thing where I have to have a culture. I want to walk with a living God. Thanks a lot.